Nehemiah chapter 13. It reads, On that day, the book of Moses was read out loud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned this curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before, because before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store grain offering and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms. Then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts, all Judah brought the tithes of, of, of grain, new wine, olive oil into the storerooms. I put Jeremiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms, and made Hanan son of Zaku, the son of Mataniah, their assistant because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing their supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds 
of loads. And they were, all, and they were bringing all of this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in, in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the, the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing? So that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they, were no longer they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons nor are you to take their daughters in marriage to your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of, of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations were there no king like him. He, loved, he was loved by his God. And God made him king all of all over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joeda, son of Lashib, the high priest was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Heromite. I drove him away from me. Remember, me. remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office 
and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood, designate, of wood at designated times and for first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, as the rains and the snow come down from the heavens and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Lord Jesus, that is our prayer this morning. That your word preached would not return without bearing fruit among your people. You pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in chapter 13 of the book of Nehemiah. And one of the things that uh, I love about the Bible, and one of the things that makes me to put faith in its authenticity, is the fact that it is not naive about human nature. It does not try to present a perfect story. We will be tempted to believe that if you look at the, at the Ezra and Nehemiah story, the most natural thing would be to present a word that starts from the people who have been exiled to people who are now committed, who are loving God, who are rejoicing in God's salvation. In the current chapter of Nehemiah chapter 13 is one of those chapters that make some people feel uncomfortable. You may remember, just from the passage we just read, that, you know, who, who beats up people? How is that in the Bible? How is that supposed to, how am I supposed to emulate that? But God does not idolize human beings. He does not treat human nature as anything other than what it is. He works with wicked people. Wicked people who need a savior. And in most times, he, remind, he points out their frailty so that we may not put our hope in them, but we may put our hope in Jesus, the one who did not sin. He doesn't want you to look at David and say, wow, I want to be like David. David is not perfect. He doesn't want you to look at Moses and say, yes, I want to be like Moses. Moses was not perfect. He was a human being. Solomon was a human being in need of a perfect savior. In need of, of someone who would come and obey the law perfectly so that we who are imperfect would trust in him 
and that his record that is completely clean will be put on us. And ours will be washed clean by the blood of his sacrifice. That is the point of today's passage. We have seen in the book of Nehemiah, briefly, is that Nehemiah has come to Judah to rebuild the temple. He heard about the, uh, the state of, to, to, sorry, to rebuild the wall. Ezra came to rebuild the temple. He had heard about the state of the, uh, of the wall of Jerusalem and he was gravely concerned. He asked for permission. He comes to Jerusalem. He starts building the wall, chapter 6 and 8. The task gets completed. And then we see in chapter uh, 11 now that the wall has been built, the city starts to be repopulated. So people are, uh, not everyone is living in the city, obviously. And what happens is that lost are cast to basically try and get some people to come and live in the city as, res as residents. Everyone else lived outside. It makes sense if you think about it. Outside you can have a big field, but in the city, space would be limited. Outside you'd have friends and family, you'd have neighbors, but in the city, you would stay where there was a place for you to be accommodated. So they cast lots, and some people were chosen to come and repopulate the now secured city. And then you also see that the city needs servants, specifically the temple. And those servants are chosen in chapter 12 to come and serve in the temple. So your priests are chosen. And then we saw that the not only was the city being rebuilt, but also the people were being rebuilt as well. It started in chapter 8 and 9, where there was concern to not only build uh, the phys physical structure of the city, but to build people up to be different from their forefathers, to, beco to become men and women who hear God's word and are obedient to it. At the end of chapter 12, you have this high note of praise to God. While there had been structural reform happening, ha happened, the people's spiritual lives had been renewed, you would be tempted to end the book there, wouldn't you? You would say everything, uh, and they lived happily ever after. But that would be a children's story. The story that we find in the word of God is real. It is a story where even at the height of what had happened, sin creeps in. And we are reminded that these are just people. Even at the heart of the reformation of Ezra and Nehemiah, who had taught them the word of God, who had organized for the city to be protected, 
we see that it does not take long for sin to come in. For sin to come in and distort that which had been built. We see this in four ways in this book. We're going to look through it uh, briefly. Number one, we see that obedience to God quickly leads to legalism. Obedience to God, which is hearing God's word and doing it, quickly leads to thinking that, uh, that if I do this, then God will accept me. Quickly leads to an extremism in the obedience of God's word. Quickly leads to, in the name of obeying God's word, towards not loving other people. It quickly leads to an exaggeration of the very word of God in a human attempt to think that you're going, you go, you're going to obey. We say that in verses 1 to 3. On that day, we, we, we read, the word of God was read out loud, and they find written in the, in, in the law that no, no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the people of Israel with food and water. This law, and we're probably finding it in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses um, 18, where it was instructed to Israel that these foreigners should not be allowed into the assembly of God. By the assembly here, they're talking about particularly the temple where worship was going to be happening. That they were not allowed to serve there because uh, the, the purpose of the law was to preserve the purity of the worship service. They find this. And what do people do? They say, we see that these people are not allowed to be in our place of worship. But what do they do, verse 3? When people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Notice where they're excluding people from. They excluded them from Israel. All who were of foreign descent. They're not being excluded from the assembly, as Deuteronomy says. They're not even being excluded, they're not even being excluded from the assembly as they saw it. But they're saying that in order to make sure that they don't come close to the assembly, let's kick them out of all of Israel. They are going to the extreme thinking that they are obeying God and his law. They had forgotten Deuteronomy chapter 10. They jumped to 23. Chapter 10 reminded Israelites to show compassion towards foreigners and to, re to, remi to remember themselves, chapter 19, that and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. But what they did 
is that they prohibited foreigners from being in their midst just because they were of foreign descent. They forgotten their forefathers. They forgotten people like Caleb, the foreign spy, who went and spied for, for them in this foreign land and was adopted into God's family and became one of the leaders of the tribes of Israel. They had forgotten about um, Ruth the Moabite who adopted the religion of Israel and became the grandmother to the greatest king, David. Their attempts to be faithful had led them to legalism, to hearts devoid of love. They had missed the spirit of the law In their attempt to be obedient to God's word, they became extreme, unloving, and did not reflect the image of God that they were trying to preserve. Secondly, we say that we see that even service led to nepotism. Even uh, service to God led to a, a kind of greed that seeks to feed oneself and those that are related to them. We'll say this in verses 4, where um, before this, verses 4, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also tithe grain, tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites. So what, they, what happens now is that um, those who were serving God, those who uh, had high positions in the temple, started to use their positions for the advantage of those who were related to them. Notice in verses 4 at the end thing that this person, Eliashib, is closely associated with Tobiah. The only reason that he's getting this large room, basically, in the temple for him to stay in and his family because he has family members in high positions. This room which was used formerly for the service of God's people to store food for those who serve in the temple had now been emptied. Why? Because a high official there is space for their family members. This is how the situation had deteriorated. That those who were put in positions of authority to serve were now serving themselves by serving those who were known to them. 
those who, whom were related to them. We see this all the time, don't we? We see this with politicians. All of a sudden, you have someone who, you have a, chi- you have a child who is in a government position. You have a family member who thinks that they can now run for president because they are father or someone whom they, whom they were related to was once president. It happens not only in Africa, but throughout the world. That positions of service being used to the advantage of oneself and one's family. Nehemiah comes and he corrects this. He removes uh, this family, throws them out of this room and puts back the tithe offerings in the storeroom where it belongs and appoints the trustworthy people to distribute these tithes to servants in the temple. In this city, this nation which had gone through so much, now this was happening. People were using the house of God to accommodate family members instead of using it for its intended purpose. And then thirdly, we see sin being manifested in that the pursuit of purity had become secondary to the pursuit of profit. The pursuit of purity had become secondary to the pursuit of profit. Verses 14 to 22. Look at verses 15. In those days, I saw the people of Judah threading one presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and and loading it in donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they were bringing it all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. The Israelites had been commanded by God to respect the Sabbath and keep it holy, to take rest in it as a reminder that God who created the world rested on the Sabbath day as well. The Sabbath day was meant to be a day of contemplation, of contemplating God, God who created the God who rescued. The Sabbath day was meant to be a day of worship. But what had happened in just a short period, money was important. People had things to sell. So what did, what did they do? They, um, they worked. Remembrance for God, His creation, His salvation, became secondary to what to the money that they needed. It was as if the dependent on themselves and not on God. That they could not even take a day off. They had to work. Because everything depended on them. The purity Obedience to God, it becomes secondary to profit. 
What did Nehemiah do? He fixes the problem again. Verses 20 to 21. From that time, they no longer came in on the Sabbath, these people who were bringing in goods. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. So he corrects it. Nehemiah. And then fourthly, we see that the faithfulness to God had now led to a fear of foreigners. Xenophobia. Faithfulness to God had now led to a fear of foreigners. Again, this point is repeated in verses 23 um, to 25. We have seen manifest, a manifestation of it in the earlier verses with them being kicked out of the nation. But now we see that there are some foreigners who had established ties with the nation of Israel through marriage. But as you see with Nehemiah, he would not have this. This is 23. Moreover, in those days I saw a man of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the, or the languages of other tribes. They did not speak the language of Judah. So what did Nehemiah do? This is 25. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name that they will not marry foreign women nor give their kids to foreigners. These people again had taken obedience. They had taken the word of God to the extreme heaven. They had forgotten the word of God that yes, there was a way for, uh, for foreigners to become part of the nation of Israel. And that way was for them, for the foreigner to commit to obeying God. We say that with Ruth, don't we? In chapter 1, verse 16, as she accompanies um, Naomi and says, I'm not going to go back to, to Moab. She comments to God and says, Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. And where you die, I will die. In that way, she became part of the nation of Israel. We don't know the specificities of this marriage, of, of these marriages. But what you know is that there is a blanket rebuke. There is a blanket calling down of curses. Calling for God to punish them. What you know is that these uh, men are met with violence 
from Nehemiah. He beats them up and he pulls their hair. Where do you find that in the Bible? Where do you find that in the Old Testament? It's, it, it is nowhere to be found because it is, it is a uh, response from sin. That's what it is. And we see in verses 28 that one of the priests even loses their job because they happen to have married a foreigner. That they had made themselves unclean because of this. So the people here who were trying to obey God, were trying to live in light of God's word, had moved to the extreme that we look at them and we are ashamed. And we should be ashamed of them. That is a right emotion to feel. We should be crying out in our hearts, no, that is not what you're supposed to do. That is not how God, what, what God is calling you to do. And we see people who are doing this thinking that they're doing it in service of God. That God is pleased with this. And they want to be remembered well by God for doing it. We say this in the refrain from Nehemiah. After each act, he, there's that refrain, isn't there? This is 14, 20, 20, uh, 14, 21, 29 and 31, where it says, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Remember me this, oh, remember me, remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Remember me. Remember them, my God. Now speaking about those who had married foreign women. Because they have defiled the priestly office in the covenant of the priesthood and of Levites. But verses 29, he wants to be remembered with favor for doing this. For beating people up, for throwing some people out, of the well for this. He says, remember with favor because he is thinking he is doing it for God. We see this throughout history, don't we? We see Christians burning other Christians for believing things, thinking that they are doing it for God. We see Christians, people who are claiming to be Christians with pitchforks. We see them burning people's shops. We see them advocating for those who are, for, who are foreigners or foreign descent to be kicked out of the country. The sad thing 
is that they are doing this, thinking that they are doing it for God. We are meant to look at this example and use it as a caution to us that we need to be careful how we live. We need to be careful how we live out our faith, that in our attempts to live for God, that we would not dishonor Him, that we would not bring shame to Him. We need to be vigilant about sin. Sin that easily creeps into us is to think we are doing the right thing, to think we are doing things in service of God, but at times we are doing them in service of our own wicked desires. We need to take heed to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 16. That says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunities, every opportunity, because the days are evil. We need to be careful as believers that in our attempts to be like Jesus, you know, in obedience of his word, that we do not dishonor him by hating those whom he loves. that we would not be those people who are going and burning foreigners' shops, who are going and condemning those who, um, those who drink in the shibins, thinking we are doing it in service of God, forgetting that we too were strangers and foreigners, that God brought us into his family, and that in this world we too are foreigners and strangers, and that we too were sinners, and God came near to us. That is a big temptation for Christians is to look at others and do grave harm to them, thinking that they are doing something to serve the purposes of God. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, should serve as a caution to us to love God and to love neighbor, to act in a way that honors him and his word. And to be careful not to act from our own wicked and sinful desires. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Heavenly Father, our desire indeed is that we would be light in this world. And that would not be those who contribute to wickedness. I pray that you would help us to become men and women who stand up for those who are beat down by society. 
and that we would not join those who are sinning. I pray that you would make us men and women who are careful in our reading of God's word and are harsh on ourselves to obey it, but gentle in our relations with others who are far from you. That you may be slow to condemn people. Slow to cast them out as lost causes. But that will be rigorous and militant with ourselves. In taking your word seriously. In loving people who are difficult to love. In forgiving people who are hard to forgive. I pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing um, our last song together.